This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Thanks for joining us on 105.9 The Region. This is Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino. On today's show, a dark topic that is increasingly being brought into the light. Our guest today is an associate professor at the University of Denver. She's a licensed clinical social worker and a psychotherapist. Dr. Stacy Friedenthal is also a suicidologist, an author, and a mother. She joins us today from Denver, Colorado. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Friedenthal, your interest in suicidology really stems from a series of experiences that you had as a teenager, encountering people you knew and people you didn't know who had taken their own lives. Why was that a catalyst for you to pursue this area of study and of specialty? It's interesting. I mean, I myself also had suicidal thoughts as an adolescent. And then in high school, there were two suicides in my high school, in my grade, within five days of each other. And the second, the first person I didn't really know, but the second person I did know, and I was with him up until the night he died. And I don't mean I was with him every day, but, you know, I we hung out together and we were at a party that night. And I remember just being so blown away and wondering why he didn't tell us and why he didn't get help. And that's what I ended up doing my doctoral dissertation on was adolescents um, uh, getting professional help when they have suicidal thoughts. Along those lines, you've been studying this and been exposed to this topic for almost 30 years. Can you summarize how much this whole field of study has changed in the last decade, and specifically since the onset of social media? It's definitely changed a lot, even well before 10 years ago, but in the beginning of this kind of suicide prevention field, there was a belief that you had to be a professional to talk with somebody about suicide, you know, about suicidal thoughts. And I spoke with an older gentleman who said, like, when he was in the 60s, I mean, when it was the 60s and he was young, he was instructed, don't ask, you know, he was a case manager, don't talk to the clients about their suicidal thoughts. Only psychiatrists and psychologists can do that. And fast forward about 40-ish years, the Surgeon General um, issued a call to action for suicide prevention in the early 2000s. And the report listed people who can help prevent suicide. And they listed bartenders. They listed hairdressers. You know, they listed neighbors. I mean, so really everybody can play a role in helping someone who has suicidal thoughts. No, you don't want to be recommending certain medications or, you know, um, doing a full on risk assessment if you don't have the training for it. But there's something that you can do just as a, a family member or a friend. Before we get into some specific examples of how parents can help uh, a child who might be having suicidal thoughts, I'm curious as to the global epidemic that we are currently in of youth mental health challenges and how that has impacted your work. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it definitely impacts it in a very real and practical way because I see it in my clinical practice, you know, and I see that, and, and our son, he's 23, I see his worldview and that of people that he knows and just how shaped their their lives are by fears around climate change, around uh, closed off possibilities, you know, that that my generation, quite frankly, had access to in terms of home ownership and college without debt. And um, and then also you mentioned social media. Social media is really a blessing and a curse. And I mean, people tend to focus on one or the other, either how much it helps or how much it hurts. And I think it's important to look at both because there, there are definitely instances of toxicity with social media and there are instances where it's helped people heal by connecting them with the community and, you know, they don't feel alone. They're empowered with information. So I, I kind of may have strayed a little from your initial question, but just to answer, um, it's on the minds of so many people in this field, you know, the the state of young people and, and the the state of the world that that awaits them not only awaits them that they're in now, but also that um, is affecting feelings of hopelessness. And of course, you know, I mentioned all these things. I didn't mention the pandemic, you know, and that's a huge factor. But, you know, the that young people's lives for a significant proportion of their existence were really affected. So in your private practice, then, do you see any other trends? Have you seen any other common trends among your patients um, as to the root causes of some of these suicidal thoughts? Well, I don't know that this is specific to my private practice. I mean, I've definitely observed it there, but also in general, I think there's a growing awareness that suicide isn't only a mental health issue. You know, it used to be thought that 90 to 95% of people who died by suicide had a mental illness. And now research is showing that that number is probably significantly lower. And of course, mental illness vastly increases the risk for suicide. So I'm not, I'm not implying that they're not related, but there are also things that have to do with quality of life that are related to suicide. And that can be homelessness, unemployment, debt, um, uh, social isolation is is a, a big um, correlate. There's an awareness that that it's not only mental illness; it can also be um, societal conditions, and even you know this is kind of a buzzword these days. And but social justice, you know, that suicide is a social justice issue. And I was really struck during the first months of the pandemic, the suicide rate actually went down in the United States. And in fact, I believe it was that April of the, when the pandemic began, it went down markedly, like almost 10%. And of course, we don't know why for sure, but, but some of the things that I hypothesize that are related to that decrease are that in the United States, student loan payments were suspended. Unemployment was increased. There were pandemic stimulus checks that went out to people. Evictions were halted, you know? And so, and, and we see too that in other countries around 
like especially in in some of the European countries where there's a, a social safety net, suicide rates have actually been declining while they've been increasing. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Dr. Stacy Friedenthal, suicidologist. Dr. Friedenthal, let's talk about how parents can spot signs and clues. If someone has a child or children who may be experiencing suicidal ideation, what does that look like? It can look like many different things. And in fact, it can be invisible because a lot of people hide. And there's significant research that shows that a a big proportion of adolescents and adults, for that matter, don't tell people when they have suicidal thoughts. And even therapists, they don't tell their therapists uh, about 40% uh, uh, in a study of adolescents and young adults, 40% of those with suicidal thoughts had hidden them from their therapist. So, so having said that, some of the things to look out for would be obviously direct statements of, I wish I weren't alive. I wish I could go to sleep and never wake up. You know, nobody will miss me when I'm gone or people will miss me when I'm gone. You know, anything that that overtly alludes to death would be something I would be I would want to, you know, say, hey, time out. What's going on? <laughs> you know, what 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 is behind that statement? Um, but then there can be indirect hints, you know, there can be jokes in my book that I I had published earlier this year, I talk about uh, an emergency room doctor who people would say, how are you feeling today? And she'd say, nothing that an overdose of insulin couldn't cure, you know, and, and an overdose of insulin is fatal. And they just laughed because they thought she was kidding, but she wasn't. And so um, the other things I would look out for with adolescents and young adults is, are they isolating? Are they using drugs or alcohol? more than usual, and I know that's hard to know um, much of the time, are they, um, you know, this is an age, adolescents and young adults, it is an age when many many mental illnesses do emerge. And so um, while I said suicide isn't only due to mental illness, it definitely is a big uh, correlate. And so Are they demonstrating symptoms of depression, sleeping much more than usual? I know adolescents sleep a lot, but, you know, sleeping much more than usual or not able to sleep much at all. Sudden apathy about grades or sports or other things that have interested them in the past. Um, Low energy, sadness, feelings of guilt. You know, those are symptoms of depression. So so those are some of the things that I think would be important to look out for. We know that uh, a breakup of a romantic relationship can be a period of high-end risk. Having a friend attempt suicide or die by suicide can create additional risk. And so I think it's really important, and and I suspect you're going to ask me about this, but I'm going to go ahead and just volunteer it. I think it's important to really directly ask the question. If, if you're concerned as a parent to ask your child, you know, a lot of teens today, they're having suicidal thoughts. Do you have suicidal thoughts? You know, just as a way to open the conversation and show that the parent isn't afraid to talk about it. The parent won't flip out. You know, the parent wants to know 
for those reasons, I think asking directly is important. So much of what you've just described there really um, is rooted in communication within the family, communication with your child. That obviously does not exist in every family. Um, You've got all kinds of family structures as well. What would you say or what can you offer as a practical tip to help empower parents to actually try to have this conversation if they are concerned as they try to sort of parse through all these different potential signs and symptoms that you've just outlined there? Yeah, I think the most important thing is people have a fear that if they ask their child about suicidal thoughts, that it will trigger suicidal thoughts or give the idea. And so I want to provide the assurance right off the bat that there's there are recurrent research studies that show that that is not the case. And in fact, you know, most people learn about suicide at a very young age, even if they may not know the word suicide, but most first graders know that there are people who intentionally end their own life. So by bringing it up, you're not introducing a new idea to an adolescent um, that they haven't considered or that they wouldn't have considered before. And in addition, the research shows that it doesn't make people worse to ask. There's a small percentage of people who say it is upsetting to be asked, but they get over it like within minutes. And the risk of not asking is so much greater than the risk of asking. You know, you know, if you ask and they get upset for 10 minutes, that's very different than not asking and missing really what could be a precious opportunity to help. Um, So that's the first thing I would want to say. And then the second thing I would want to say is that you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to ask the perfect way. I mean, that's one of the hesitations I had in my book. And I tried to make it clear is that I was giving advice on how to ask, but it doesn't mean there's not a script and it doesn't mean that, you know, you should be so preoccupied with your words that you're not present. The important thing is to show genuine um, interest concern and curiosity, and to listen in a way that facilitates the person saying more. And that's where, I mean, on my website, speakingofsuicide.com, I have a site, I have a post and the title is something like 10 reasons adolescents don't tell their parents about suicidal thoughts. And these were things that just kept coming up in my own practice that I was hearing from other adolescents. And And some of the reasons are that their parents get mad or their parents guilt them and say, like, how could you think of hurting me like that? Or their parents try to instantly cheer them up and say things like, you you couldn't possibly have real problems. You're you're too young. You you know, this this is going to pass. And and parents who make statements like that are very well-meaning and they're usually afraid. You know, and so their their comments come from a place of love and fear. And I use the phrase brave listening. I hope that parents can feel that fear, but still be brave and ask the question, are you having thoughts of suicide or do you think of killing yourself? Or if it's too scary to go straight to that, I mean, do you ever have thoughts that you wish you were dead? Um, And then listening bravely. And listening in a way that encourages the the their child to open up rather than to shut down. It is time for a short break, 
more of our conversation about suicidal ideation with Dr. Stacy Friedenthal when we come back. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. Our guest is Dr. Stacy Friedenthal, psychotherapist and suicidologist who's been studying suicide for almost 30 years. Dr. Friedenthal, the timing of having a conversation about suicide with a child is obviously critical. Is there a right time? You certainly don't want to wait too long. So what kind of advice can you share on that piece? Well, I would say, first off, there's probably never a perfect time. I mean, there's always going to be something like, oh, we're walking out the door or we're in the car or, you know, it's right before they're going to bed. You know, there's always going to be something where you think it could be a better time. But I think ideally, if somebody makes a joke about suicide or says something that indicates they're experiencing feelings of hopelessness about themselves or the future, ideally, you would ask right then and say, it sounds like you're really struggling with something, you know, and and again, this isn't a script. I mean, there's a thousand things you could say, but just I'm throwing something out there. But if your child said like, oh, why even bother? You know, nothing good is going to happen to me anyway. You know, hmm, gosh, that statement sounded really hopeless. I mean, what's going on? You know, can you tell me more about what you meant? And then I, I, I like the approach of normalizing. And by this, I don't mean that we normalize suicide, but we normalize talking about suicide and asking about suicide. And we can normalize it by saying, you know, as I said earlier, that there are a lot of young people who do have suicidal thoughts and they were conveying that they're not a freak if they're having suicidal thoughts you know and which is probably not the best language for me to have used but you know that's how a lot of adolescents feel is that they're there's something wrong with them and um and then we're conveying that it's okay to talk about it and even if you ask and the, the your child is like no no god no or or say they don't want to talk about it say they're like mom you know boundaries you know whatever they may say it doesn't mean that they won't tell you later you know i mean it's important that you're conveying that you want to know and that there won't be negative repercussions on your end if they are feeling that way. And the other thing I would say is if they say no, you know, no, I would never think that. Don't presume they're telling the truth because a lot of people say no because they're scared, you know, and they really do have suicidal thoughts and they're saying no. And so then what you say next can be really important because if if you were to say oh, thank God, I don't know what I would do if you ever had suicidal thoughts and they really are having suicidal thoughts, then they might think like, well, I'm not ever going to tell them that, you know? So, so on the one hand, I'm saying there's not a perfect script, but there are things to watch out for and to be mindful of. And one is that your child may really have suicidal thoughts. So rather than saying, oh, good, I'm so glad you don't. I mean, it could be that you say, oh, that's so good for me to know. 
if you ever were having suicidal thoughts in the future, do you think you would tell me? And it's surprising how many people are honest and say, no, I wouldn't tell you. And then that's a great opportunity to find out why. And in my own experience as a therapist and just as a regular person in the world, um, what I've encountered is people are scared that you'll call 911, you know, and that they'll be taken to a hospital right away. So then that could give you the chance to say, oh, if you were having suicidal thoughts and you told me, I, I wouldn't call 911 right away. I would want to have a conversation with you and find out what's happening. You know, and and I might never call 911 if you had, you know, if you had a weapon in your hand, then, yeah, I probably would, you know. But if if we're just having a conversation that alone, you know, suicidal thoughts alone aren't a reason for me to call the police. And then that could dispel fears. So calling 911 and being hospitalized tend to be people's fears. Should parents even be the ones to have this conversation with a child? And when would a parent not be the person to have a conversation about suicide with their own child? I think parents definitely should because parents are in the trenches. You know, they're seeing their child many, many more hours than any mental health professional can. I'm not saying mental health professionals shouldn't ask too, but I'm saying that parents They've got the opportunity to ask, their, their, the availability, the, the intimacy, the knowledge of their children more than anyone else will. Um, where I would say it's time to involve a professional is almost always if someone's having suicidal thoughts, then they'll benefit from mental health treatment of some kind. You know, whether that's psychotherapy, whether that's a risk assessment, whether in some cases it may even be medication, not my wheelhouse. I'm not a psychiatrist, but just there's research that shows that. Um, So I don't think it's either or, you know, that either parents ask or they don't. It can be both that they ask and then they connect their child with help. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to get more granular on social media and in and of itself. Is it safe to say that it has been an influencer where it it concerns suicidal ideation? And how can a parent combat or try to manage this whole piece where oftentimes they may have no idea that it's going on? Right, right. And there's so many aspects of social media that are frightening, both for kids and parents, you know, I mean, there's bullying, there's the feelings of inadequacy people can have by comparing themselves to other people's idealized photos of themselves. And then there's outright abuse that can happen, you know, where um, I don't know if, if you're having this in your area, but I've heard of several cases where somebody pretends to be a very attractive girl and reaches out to uh, an adolescent boy and elicits from them graph- sexually graphic photos or videos, and then blackmail blackmails them with it. You know, extortion. And, yes, extortion, and and they're not a, a a pretty adolescent girl. They're a forty five year old guy, and you know, usually in a different country, and possibly in a different country. So so there are a lot of um, ways that the that social media makes things harder for parents and teens alike. And 
you know, there's it's controversial. Some researchers say, well, but we don't really know that it increases suicide risk. There is some evidence that it does. Um, there definitely is evidence anecdotally that it does. Um, I think the news has had many different stories of somebody who saw something on social media. They were being bullied or they were being um, pressured in some way and and they acted on suicidal thoughts as a result. But as I said before, there's also good things about social media. So your question was then what can parents do? And that's what's controversial is um, some people say give kids freedom, don't monitor their social media use. You know, they're almost adults, show that you trust them. But I tend to come in on the more cautious side and and say, you know, not monitor them where you're tricking them and catching them, but be open. You know, like I'm going to put this, I want this app on your phone so that I can make sure nobody, that there's not somebody preying on you, you know, and and I'll be honest with you, I did that with our son and I stopped a couple of things that could have been really, really terrible. You know, like a 30 year old person trying to arrange to meet him at a hotel when he was 14. You know, so so I come in more on the side of caution and and some parents, they say to me or they don't really say it to me directly because they don't know me, but they'll say like, oh, I can't believe parents who do that. And in my mind, I'm thinking you're really lucky if you haven't had to do that. A pain point in many families would be getting a young person who you've identified as potentially needing professional help to actually agree to go get it with them, without them, whatever that looks like. How can you help support as a parent, a child to go and get that professional help? Yeah, that's a really good question. I recommend if if you have the resources to do so, and, and I have to say, I don't know how the system works in Canada in terms of your nationalized health care, but if parents have the resources to take their child to more than one provider so that then the child can say, I like this one, not that one, and they can feel empowered in the process, then I recommend that. And really just generally as being as empowering as possible, you know, and giving them choices um, where you can, like, do you want to go in the evening or do you want to go immediately after school, you know? Um, and what what kind of person would you feel comfortable talking to, a man or a woman or somebody who's gender nonconforming, you know, it, just really getting their information and taking their preferences into account but it is hard if they're completely opposed you know it can become a power struggle and very few people win power struggles against you know with their children you contend that studying suicide gives you hope how is that well for one thing um before i became involved in suicide prevention I thought that having suicidal thoughts meant there was a really big chance he would die by suicide. And now I've learned that it, I, I figured out the math once. I think it's 99.7% of people who have serious suicidal thoughts do not die by suicide. So I find it hopeful that, that even though these 
suicidal ideation, the clinical term for suicidal thoughts can be so compelling for people that most people survive them. Now I'm, I'm, I grieve that it's not a hundred percent of people, you know, don't act on suicidal thoughts because that three tenths of a percent is a, a, a huge tragedy. But it also gives me hope that most people who attempt suicide and survive don't go on to die by suicide. It gives me hope that we have found various ways to help people who have suicidal thoughts. There's a number of psychotherapies that have demonstrated at least some effectiveness in helping people. And these can include like cognitive therapy for suicide prevention, dialectical behavior therapy, the collaborative assessment and management of suicidality, which is CAMS. There's even a couple of medications that, that appear, we're not, not sure, but that appear to have a direct causal link to lowering suicide. Dr. Stacey Friedenthal, suicidologist, psychotherapist, we thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. Thank you. That's our time for now. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Leanne Castellino. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.